For as many of you as were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would impress and imprint on our hearts your truth, the truth of your word, uh, through my speaking this morning, that you would give us soft hearts to receive your word, and that you would bless me to speak accurately and carefully. In Jesus' name. So in the world, the sort of natural state of affairs in, on this side of the disobedience in the garden in the fall, difference, difference between people, um, always affects division. Difference leads to division. In Christ, the truth of Galatians 3 is that differences are dissolved. This is the truth I want to unpack this morning. So first a bit about uh, difference dividing. It was true in St. Paul's day when he wrote Galatians, and it's still true. So, but just to kind of map out the parallelism, um, in St. Paul's day, there was a strong market between Jew and Greek. And it wasn't just by religious affiliation. This is an ethnic and a racial division, right? Um, <coughs> Jews are those who have Abraham's blood in their veins, and non-Jews are those who don't. And Jews thought Greeks were disgusting, and Greeks thought Jews were backwards and strange and weird. And there was a, a strong racial enmity between the two groups. Slave and free, um, what we might generally class now because of, as an economic class division. The haves um, often despise, sorry, the have-nots despising the haves, uh, and the haves looking down their noses pejoratively at the have-nots. True then. Male and female, as well as in the first century, uh, a predominant view uh, a mistaken view, but a predominant view of the inferiority of women that was just pervasive in the way culture functioned. Um, but even under the, even amidst the people of God, even under the old covenant, um, only males could be sort of full participants because only males received circumcision. So there was a distinction between male and female under the old covenant. These divisions along lines of difference, this is the natural state of things natural according to post-fall nature, right? The way we're broken now. It remains to the case to this day. I'm sure the parallelisms are clear. That racial division is still a thing. There are still corners of the world, of our country, even perhaps of some hearts, um, where there's just straight-up enmity towards another race. But perhaps even more um, prevalent by frequency in a reaction against this racism is a conception that still fundamentally entrenches racial division as fundamental and insurpassable, that only ever talks as if everything should be launched from racially divided lines. Whites must do this. Blacks must do this. Economic class division. This is at the seat of um, so much of what divides political opinion in this country. Male and female. Um, so I want to be really careful here because in part, the sort of um, waves of feminism through the 20th century were calling out um, the patriarchalism of the past 
And much of that was a right call-out. But then in seeking to correct and overcome such division, now it also is the case that shallow stereotypes of maleness and femaleness um, remain entrenched and pervasive. I mean, I think this is at root in so much of the trans propaganda. Right? This is what a man looks like. What? The, the, the division hasn't been overcome. There's a difference that still is breeding division. No matter how hard the world tries, difference divides. But in the church, it's a different thing, or at least it's supposed to be to the degree that we're following the Bible. Difference is to be dissolved in our identity in Christ. So I need to actually zoom in on what is the linchpin of Galatians 3, this phrase, in Christ, right? That because, and, and it's all tied together. Paul kind of gathers the argument of the chapter and a half before. And he says, if you have faith in Christ, if you trust in him and his death, his atoning death and in his resurrection and in the truth of this message that your sins have been forgiven freely by him, you have been reconciled to God. You've come to him through the waters of baptism. It's, it's very meaningful that this whole discussion of faith sort of gets tied together in a bow, in a knot with um, this reference to baptism. We come to God in faith. We come in baptism. What this means then is that when we've been baptized, as it says in Romans 6, into the death of Christ, we've been baptized into him. Paul would then synonymize that with, you have been clothed with Christ. You have put on Christ Jesus. All of which is only possible because, just like Jesus prophesied, unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it bears no fruit. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Christ's death and resurrection, now because he has this glorified body and is ascended at the right hand of the Father, therefore we can be grafted into him. Right? I can't be grafted into art. Doesn't, doesn't, it's not possible, right? <laughs> According to the way the bodies are now. But because of Christ's body, his risen body, we're able to be grafted into him. And now that that's the case, that we've come to Christ in faith and baptism, the message of Galatians 3 is that is the most significant thing about us. The most significant thing. You are, as Paul, as the Spirit would speak through St. Paul, you are a son of God. A son of God. That is the most significant thing. And because we are in him, we are therefore then all united together by a divine bond. We are, and that's the sort of where this verse lands. You are all one in Christ. You are all one in Christ. Greek actually has two different words for one. One means like one alone. And one means like one, a united thing. And this is the one as you are united thing. You are one. One and therefore equal. And this is a radical message that we take for granted, I think, where we sit in this exact moment in history. But this was actually a new presentation to the world spoken by God himself. The idea that we actually are all equal. Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. There was no philosophy on the planet, no religion on the planet at the time that asserted that. This is spoken by God himself. True because now we are in Christ. All races, all classes, and both sexes we are now together on Christ, the solid rock, which means we are all on equal footing. This is a radical message. The Enlightenment didn't invent this truth. Christ established this truth. So the significance of the features that make us different, they get dissolved. Extending the metaphor of that word, they, they fade into the solution. They cease to be very important, and the ground of division is eliminated. 
So what this means is that you know, the Bible is always holding up the standard to which the church is called to live into. And in our sinfulness, we fall short of it. By the mercy of God, he forgives us our falling short. But what the Bible calls the church into, are those of us in Christ, is that in the church, there's no room for any outlook which sort of stands on the division of difference. That says, well, I'm this way and you're this way. No, no. You have more in common with any Christian than across any line of difference, whether it's racial, class, male, female. You are all one in Christ. So just to be really clear to pin the tail on the donkey, um, Galatians says it's unwelcome in the church any chauvinism, any racism. And then any um, adoption of ideology to counter these evils that then still entrench a division and a difference that is sort of fundamental about us that could not be surpassed in Christ. I really intentionally picked this word dissolved as I was praying and preparing about the sun because it's a bit different than disappeared, right? It's still noteworthy that in Revelation, in the vision of heaven, the Spirit wanted to, us to know to point out, look, there's people from every tribe in heaven. That there's still something that marks you as a little bit different. It's just an extremely tertiary feature now. Oh, look, it happens to be we're all from all different tribes. But it's still there as a detail. To be dissolved doesn't mean to mean it's disappeared. So even though there's neither slave nor free in Christ, the same spirit who spoke through St. Paul to Galatia would speak through him to Colossae and say, servants, obey your masters. So there's, there's, these things are still tertiary details in our daily lives, but they've been eclipsed by the greater truth that we are now in Christ. There is neither male nor female, but we remain our biological sex lifelong. And until we die, we're called into vocations uniquely suited to our sex. We recognize this on Father's Day, right? There's, to be a father is a different thing than a mother. Working together in mutual collaboration for the raising of children and the creation of family. But it's different. We aren't just sort of subsets of like a gender-neutral parenting. It's father and mother. We're called into different vocations. So all of these marks of difference... Um, they still exist. They still, we still confront them in the midst of daily life in this world. But when our hearts have gripped the degree to which what Christ has done for us and our life in him has marked us, they really fade into the background. They get eclipsed. They get dissolved. And Christ, as the unifying, as the only unifying reality on the planet, there's no other scheme of man that actually overcomes these differences other than Christ Jesus. And that's a great joy for us as Christians. A great joy. There's joy immediately in the unity, but there's eternal joy in the ground of that unity. Christ Jesus, our Lord himself. Amen.